You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, Psalm 72, 1 through 20. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. This is the word of the Lord. Will you guys pray with me? Father God, we pray that today your truth would be just made clear through Casey and through your word in the Psalm 72. Lord, would you um, help us all individually to understand more of your word and to have a um, a clear message today? from you. Would you also, Lord, be working uh, in, the, in the whole Lawrence School District area and in, um, in those that will be in this building this summer and come this fall? God, we need your peace. We need your presence. Lord, we need you to, um, to work in really big ways in the school, and we're so thankful to be able to, to use this facility. We just praise you that you've allowed that and that you have um, given us that opportunity and that we can be a good presence here as well. Um, Lord, we, we love you, and we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, my name's Casey. Um, I'm uh, one of the pastors here, and that's always my first opening line. Um, man, we're really glad you're with you. It's actually a real privilege uh, to me um, every time I get to get up and expand on God's Word. Um, and so if you open, if you have your Bibles open, and we're going to be looking in Psalm 72, and if you're used to kind of what we do, um, 
you know, we, we try to point to verses and we try to see what the scriptures are teaching us, but knowing that all of the scriptures that make us wise towards salvation, they point us ultimately to hope that we have in Christ. And so sometimes the, the scriptures paint a really, really heavy picture. Sometimes they paint a picture that is so accustomed to what we see inside of ourselves and what we want on the outside of us that it's like it's reading us. And even when we find ourselves reading something from nearly 3,000 years ago that's been translated into our language, we see a longing in a psalm that we find inside of our heart. And so, like, as we're getting started, I want to ask you just about stories. Like, stories that captivate your heart, that, that grab a hold of you, that you want to be inside the story. Like, there's something about the story, whether you're reading it or whether it's being told to you, that you want the story to be about you. Sometimes you find tears welling up in your eyes, and it's not even a sad moment of the story, but there's something that grabs a hold of you, and inside of you it's saying, man, I want that kind of reality. I want that kind of courage. I want that kind of hope. I want that to be true in me and around me. Uh, in kind of a different way, I, I was in high school, and I was at a football game, um, in the stands. Uh, I know by my stature, you can't believe I didn't play football. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> I was in the stands, and one of my friends, uh, his name was Ben. He's kind of a smaller guy, too. He, he came up, and he had this, like, shell-shocked look on his face. Like, he was kind of, like, shaken. And I'm like, Ben, what, what's going on? And he looks at me. He's like, man, you're not going to believe what just happened to me which sucked me right in. He's like, I was walking through the parking lot to come into the stadium, and I walked past this truck, and there were a bunch of guys I didn't know in the back of the truck, and they started to, like, yell names at me. They started to, like, taunt me, like, hey, you want a piece of us? You want to fight us? And so I just tried to ignore them. Well, then suddenly I realized one guy was following me, and he grabbed me by the shoulder and turned me around to try to coax me into a fight. And I found myself, I was scared. I didn't know what to do. And so I was like, what did you do? And he said, I started to take off my letter jacket, just so you can picture it. This is the 1900s, we had leather jackets. My letter jacket, like I was taking it off, but I faked it. I punched him right in the mouth and he fell down. And I was like, this is incredible. What happened? And he's like, I was so scared. Like all the guys were going to jump out of the truck and like beat me up. So I look up to look at them thinking my little pump fake like letter jacket move. I don't know how many times that's going to work. And their like mouth is agape looking at me in astonishment. And then they just bust up laughing. And I just walked in here. And I remember thinking, man, I don't know why this story resonates with my heart so much, but like, it's the smaller guy, like, not wanting to fight, but being coaxed into a fight, wanting to do the right thing, and somehow hitting that guy, like, that guy in eternity will thank him for it. You know, somehow it'll be the right thing. Like, I wanted to be in the story. So I started to share the story. And by the third time I shared the story, someone asked me, hey, is this about you or someone else? And so I decided it'd be more fun to tell them it was about me. And suddenly the story became my story 
And I started telling the story like it was my story. And, you know, I was about to take my jacket off. I hit the guy. I was like, oh, no, I'm sorry. And all of a sudden, it was going great for me until I was telling that story about a week later. And Ben was in the group. And he said, wait a minute, that happened to me, not you. And I thought, ah, this is awkward. Why is it that if you look at fairy tales and classic stories, Why do they have, like, themes that we relate to? Why do they have themes of, like, a good leader who came from humble circumstances but rises in just the right time, who lives some sort of virtuous life and then dies a sacrificial death? Why do those grip us? Like, like, why do we see those in, from almost, like, every culture? Like, why do they resonate with us? Why do we, you know, want to yell freedom like William Wallace? Or why do we want to carry the flag into the battle lines like the Patriot? Which is a question like, why do we want to be Mel Gibson in the late 1900s? Why? Like, why does it grip us? Why is it when we see sacrificial courage, there's something inside of us where it doesn't benefit the person at all, but there's something inside of us that wishes we were a part of it? Why? Why? Why do we long, like this psalm, for a leader to be almost above human, to sacrificially protect the poor and the vulnerable, to expand a kingdom where there is prosperity for all? Like, why do we hear that and we say, yes, we want that, but we look out through history and the greatest leaders that we have all fail us. Why do we see what David sees outside of us? And why do we see the longing that he has inside of us? And why do we desire an outcome that maybe we've never fully experienced? As we're getting started, like, I want to tell you, like, the gospel is a story. The gospel is a true story telling us something has happened. Something in history has happened that the Bible says changes everything. And the gospel is good news about the God of the universe seeing our plight, seeing our inability to get it right, our inability to be reconnected with him, seeing how we treat one another, how we hurt one another, and yet we long for someone to be sacrificial toward us. Seeing all of that longing, all of that need, wrote himself into history. The king of the universe comes through a woman comes through a virgin into history to live a life that we couldn't live, to die a death that we deserve, to open up atonement, the ability for us to be made right before God that we could be a part of his kingdom. Like the gospel is a true story and its plot lines resonate with so much of what captures our heart. And I think it's because we were created to live in that. And there's a longing inside of us that always wants it, but never fully has it. And so there's a story outside of us that we long to be a part of. And that story is found in the scriptures. But it's sung in every bird's song. And it's whispered in the rustles of the trees as the world groans for something we don't quite yet have. So the background of Psalm 72, like just take a look at it as a whole. 
Like the background, it resonates with something we want, but we have to ask, has it ever really happened? Psalm 72 asks for a good king to come and to establish a good kingdom in which everyone prospers from the top to the bottom. But before we get there, let's just talk about it as a whole. It's like, if you look at your Bibles, you might see right after Psalm 72, it says like book three of the Psalms. So we enter into a new section of the Psalms. Psalm 72 is the last psalm of book two. Book two is similar to book one that is dominated by psalms of David and they're full of laments and distress. They're full of asking for God to intervene to fix all things around him and inside of him. They groan for a different world. They point at the wrong in the world outside of ourselves, but they also point at the wrong inside of us. Like Psalms 51, David's favorite psalm where he says, What can possibly save me? Cleanse me with hyssop. Enter in me. Don't turn your face from me. Forgive me. And so we see in these sections of psalms that there's a longing for a world that they're not fully experiencing. It seeks a new world, a new ruler, a new rule. They deal with the human condition and ask for God to save and redeem them and to end all that is wrong. Psalm 72 makes the same ask in a king. Psalm 72 is also a royal psalm. Now, what that means, uh, sometimes there's notations that designate this is clearly, or this is seen as a royal psalm, but a royal psalm is set up to describe, we want our leaders to follow after God, we need God to work through our king, that his reign might be expanded to us, that his benefits might affect us and change our lives. In them, we see the ask for justice, protection, for the poor and vulnerable, we see that it's all together to promote and protect everyone, not just a few. Psalm 72 is one of those royal psalms, and it was specifically written as a coronation psalm for Solomon. And so look at the prescript, look at the top. Most Bibles say something like this, give the king your justice, and then look, it says, of Solomon. And so that preposition of Solomon could just as easily be translated for Solomon. Now, now look down at verse 20. Like at the very, very bottom, you see this. It says, ends with, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Now, David didn't write all of these psalms in book two or in book one, but he wrote most of them. And by arranging them this way, by saying these are the prayers of David, it's saying they reflect his heart, his hopes, and his dreams. They are something about in these psalms that he had a cry inside of himself that he looked to God and said, fix this, fix me. And so between the the prescript, where I think it's, you know, this was written for David and this was a prayer of David. I think this was written by David for the coronation of his son's reign, Solomon, who came after him. And it reflects the language that we find in 1 Kings chapter 2. And so it'll be up on the screen, but like 1 Kings chapter 2, it says something very, very similar. And so David, he writes down, Solomon, I'm about to die. And then he says this, be strong and show yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rule, and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses. 
And then he goes on to describe that it may go well with you, may go well for our people. And so the idea is that the king would be surrendered to the ways of God, and by being surrendered to the rule of God, that rule would follow to all people, and there would be equality and justice for all. They didn't mean to like start the Pledge of Allegiance there, but that's, that's the idea. And so this is also like when we think about like the hope of this, although the New Testament it never quotes Psalm 72 as a messianic prediction. The language of it looks so much like Isaiah 11, or the, the picture of it looks so much like Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 5, and Isaiah 60, 61, and 62, that even by the first century, most Jewish scholars were adding the word Messiah into the Targum, so the paraphrased version of the Old Testament. They saw this extending beyond Solomon, even though the prosperity of Solomon was vast. His rule was nowhere near perfect. And we actually find, like, there was a critique about his rule, that he crushed the people in their service. And so they start reading this as a Messiah to come who's going to be the king of kings in such a way that establishes some otherworldly reign. And so we get pictures like this, like Isaiah uh, chapter 11. In, in verse 4, it says that this, this king would be in the line of Jesse, who in righteousness brings justice to the poor, equity for the meek, and ends the wicked. Or in Jesus' first sermon, when he stands up in the, his local synagogue, he quotes Isaiah 61, where he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has set me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to open the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sits down and says, thus this is beheld in me. It's come true in me. I am this king. I am this Messiah who's going to do this. I'm going to bring this kind of reign that we all long for. And so Psalm 72 we see a hopeful ask for a new kind of rule, a new kind of ruler. It, it asks for all that is wrong to be ended and for a kingdom of eternal blessing to be established. It asks for a king that no one has ever really experienced. And so although we see some leaders do well, they all fall short. This ask was beyond Solomon. This ask was beyond any earthly king. This ask is answered in King Jesus. It is fully realized in King Jesus' life, death, and coming rule. And it will be fully realized when life here reflects his prayer in earth as it is in heaven. And so I'm going to arrange this. And some of this is going to go pretty quick. Which some of you are like, whoa, man, that was a long introduction. What's wrong with this guy? Um, we're going to look at what does David see in the world? Like the world we have. And then we're going to look at the king that we want. And so some of it, you're going to have to look at the scriptures and move back with me pretty fast because we're going to look at it. And so first, David sees a world that we see, the world that we have. And he knows what we know. We know that there is something wrong with our world, that it's not the way it's supposed to be. We long for something different. And he sees so many of the things that we see. Like, like look at this psalm. It agrees with us on so many levels of this inner angst that there is something wrong inside of me and outside of me. There is something wrong in this world. And so first... Like, we see injustice, and we want it stopped. 
Like we see this in verse 2 and verse 4. And so it says, May he, the king, judge your people, God's people, with righteousness and your poor with justice. And so the call out is that there wouldn't be a class or there wouldn't be a people that would be set aside that don't get what everyone else gets. That there would be justice for all. That there would be some sort of reign that would see everyone where they are and elevate and take care of them. There would be something that would elevate and lift up, that there wouldn't be unfairness. Like that that idea of that's not fair. Like if you haven't heard that recently, it's it's because you don't have young kids. Um, But that's not fair. Like if you have kids and they have siblings, they see something that their sibling has and there's a cry in their heart of that's not fair. There's a cry in all of our hearts. When we see unfairness. You know, verse 4 it says, And may he crush the oppressor. Like David looks at his kingdom, God's people, and he sees that there are still things wrong and undone. And he's charging Solomon to see what is wrong, to stop what is wrong, and to elevate what needs to be lifted up. So the first thing, man, we see the same kind of injustice, and there's something in us that wants it stopped. The second thing, like, we, we see weak and vulnerable We see the weak and vulnerable, and we want someone to defend them. Look at verse 4 again. It says, may he defend the cause of the poor. And then it carries on. May he give deliverance to the children of the needy. And so this is a similar ask of what David sees and what he sees that the world needs. Like he says, there are people who need to be defended. They don't have power, and they need someone to come alongside and to protect them. Which goes right into the next thing that we see in verse 13 and 14. We see that there are those who are oppressed and ruled by violence. And we cry out, someone needs to rescue them. Someone needs to save them. Like look at verse 13, it says, And save the lives of the needy from oppression and violence, and he redeems their life. And ultimately, one step deeper, we see that same need for help. But we know that it's not just help that we long for, we also long for compassion. Like not just the problem fixed, but that someone would see and they would stand with us and they would have mercy and compassion upon us. In verse 12 it says, For he delivers the needy when he calls. The poor in him who has no helper, he has pity or compassion on the weak and the needy. And if you jump to the end of verse 14, it says, and precious is their blood in his sight. Like all of that comes to, we don't just want the problem fixed. We want someone to see the angst inside of us. We want someone to elevate that, to stand with us, and to empathize with us. Like David sees a broken world. He sees a lot of the things that we see are wrong with our world. Like we want a world that has some kind of rule that we've never experienced and some kind of ruler that we've never actually had that maybe we had for a fleeting moment. Like ultimately, whether we know it or not, we want a king who is altogether different than anything we have ever seen in history in the kingdoms of men. Like, do do you see the world uh, that we have? Like, do you see that David is longing for something different and he's charging his son, make this kind of kingdom? Does it resonate with you? Do you see him begging Solomon to be different, to be better? 
But do you also see how Solomon, even at his best, fell short of his ask? He didn't bring the prosperity that was for everyone. He didn't bring a rule that remembered everyone. He didn't bring something that rang justice from the top all the way down. Like, do you see how all leaders, even at their best, fall short of this longing? We see this in the Psalms. See, David describes the broken, unjust world that we have, but then David describes the king that we want. Like, like, look at this. The king that we want. We want a king who is good, does what is right, is driven by endless compassion to rescue us. And, and so the first thing about this king, a king who is good and does what is right. Look, look at verse 1. It says, Give the king justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal sons. Now that's pretty like normal coronation stuff. This is like saying, God save the queen, you know, kind of thing. But he asks, David starts off and he says, There needs to be justice for the king that extends beyond. But then it goes on to verse 2. It says, May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. May he give deliverance to the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. And so this just says a lot of things really fast. First it says, a king who does right. In verse 2 it says, judge your people with righteousness. He makes right calls. But then it says, a king who sees and protects the poor. In verse 2 and verse 4 it says, uh, And judge your poor with justice. Verse 4, may he defend the cause of the poor of your people and give deliverance to the children and the needy. And then we see in verse 4, it goes on, a king who stops wrong, may he crush the oppressor, crush wickedness, crush what hurts us and haunts us. And then it says, a king who brings complete abundance. Look at verse 3. In verse 3 it says, let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. Now, when it says prosperity, it actually is the word shalom. And so it's the word where we get this idea of complete wholeness. Everything right, bodily, spiritually, physically, in every way, there's a completeness. And so he says, from the top of the mountains, may there be a wholeness that comes down. It goes from the top all the way to the bottom, to the cracks of society that some people never see. And so he says, from the top down, can there be a difference We want a king who is good and does what's right. But it's also an ask for a king whose healing reign will be endless and without boundaries. Like first, look, it says his rule needs to be endless. In verse 5 and 7, it says this, May they fear or respect you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. And then in verse 7, it kind of says something similar. It says, In his day may the righteous flourish and peace abound to the moon be no more. And so this is a way to say as long as the world stands, as long as there is life, as long as the sun still shines, the moon still gives off light, as long as humanity exists, may there be this kind of healing rain. Healing rain without boundaries. Like look at verse 8. In verse 8 it goes on, May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And so this is like if you position yourself in Jerusalem, it's looking at the Euphrates. Like your Bible probably has a notation that says that's probably Euphrates. That's why the river is capitalized. But it's looking from the Euphrates and it's looking west 
west that way. And it's saying this, may your dominion go as far as we can see west to the ends of the earth. May there be no boundaries. May no one be on the outside and say, man, I wish I could get in. I wish I could be a part of that. May it be available to all. Now look at verse 9. He points a different direction. He says, may desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick his dust. Which now he's pointing east toward modern day Iraq through the desert. And he's saying, may your boundary extend there. May this kind of healing grace, this kind of bountiful rule, may it extend as far as we can see east. And so may his good rule extend west to the sea. May his good rule extend east to the desert. And now he points north and south. Verse 10, it says, May the king of Tarshish of the coastlands, that's north, render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba, that's south in Africa, bring him gifts. May all the kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. And so he says, May no one be on the outside of this kind of good rule under this good king. May everyone be able to get in, whether they're to the west or to to the east or the north or the south. May it extend for all. But then we ask, man, what does this good reign look like or feel like? And I love verse 6. Look at verse 6. In verse 6 it says, May he, the ruler, this king, be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. Like rain on mowed grass. Like it's this visual picture of healing grace upon the vulnerable. Like my yard was in, mom- it was in moments of just dying and being dead. Like I actually raised my mower to the second to the top notch just to extend its life just a little bit more. And I mowed the grass and I looked at it and I was like, man, I will see you in like October. It is too hot. The sun is too strong. The only thing that can grow is crabgrass. Why don't we like crabgrass? It grows so well. But I mowed it and then this huge storm came through. It rained and the temperature dropped and we're like, what are we doing in July with like 65 degree weather? Like it's not even that cold, but like we're putting sweatshirts on, like this is abnormal. And my grass, it, it rallied for a few more days. It's going to die again. <laughs> but when grass is cut, it's the most vulnerable and it's saying upon the most vulnerable Will this kingdom, this king, his reign, will it meet the need and will it grow growth? He says, will the king be like that? Psalm 72 is asking for a king to establish a kingdom that heals in every direction, in every way. It's asking for a situation where no one is left on the outside just longing to get in, but there's entrance for everyone. A king who is good and does what is right. A king whose healing rain is like rain upon mown grass that brings life and is felt in every direction and never fails. A king who has saving compassion. Like, look at these words that describe this king in verses 12 through 14. Like, we see the words deliver. We see save, we see redeem, and we see it's because of his compassion or pity in this translation. And so first it says, a king who delivers. 
Verse 12, it says, For He delivers the needy when He calls the poor and Him who has no helper. And so delivers means it can't be delivered by itself. Like when you order a package on Amazon, Amazon Prime Day is coming up, mark your calendar. When you order it, someone delivers the package, or one day maybe something, drones will take over the earth, will deliver the package because it can't deliver itself. But this word can carries, more, carries more than just moving from place to place. It carries the idea of deliverance. It carries the idea of we need a deliverer, someone who comes and rises up to move you out of danger, someone who saves another. Uh, our dog Charlie, I built a fence, and literally the day after I built the fence, he's a German short hair dog, he started jumping it. I was so mad. I wanted to kill him. Um, so I went to Amazon, and I, I bought a wired electric fence, and I put it around our whole property, and I put the collar on him, and he learned quickly where that boundary was. But it includes the front yard. And so Charlie actually thinks he's helping us out when he's in the front yard. Like, hey, I am guarding this place. And he sees one threat. You could walk by with like a machete in your hand, and he would welcome you into our house. But if you're delivering a package, you are the threat of all threats. You show up, you know, you're probably coming from the same warehouse, you kind of smell the same, you're in a uniform, you come leave something on our porch, he barks, and you go away. It is like the stuff nightmares are made out of. So he tries to protect us from all deliveries, to keep the deliveries out. So sometimes we get texts from our delivery person, and they say, hey, there's a dog. He won't let me deliver your packages. We've had bad dog written on our packages, We've had Charlie think the packages are for him, open them up, and spread them about the yard. He is a bad dog. Write it on every package. The idea of a deliverer is taking you from something that is life-threatening to deliver you to a place of peace and safety. This king delivers anyone who is in danger, and it says, who calls out to him. Anyone who calls out, he will deliver. A king who doesn't just deliver, but a king who saves. Look at verse 13. It says, and he saves the lives of the needy. This king saves those in need and delivers them to safety. And then verse 14, it says, a king who redeems. It says, from oppression and violence, he redeems their life. The word redeems means he buys them back. Oppression and violence has some sort of ownership upon us. And this king will purchase us back away from that ownership into a new ownership. He redeems them. He buys them back. He saves them and delivers them to safety. A king who has compassion and sees us as valuable. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, it says, He has pity on the weak and the needy. Pity means compassion. He feels pain for them and moves toward them. Verse 14, the end of it, it says, For precious is their blood in his sight. This king is moved by compassion through a lens of mercy. And he loves us. And he sees us as valuable. He sees us as savable and worth it. Like, what we see is a longing for a king who is good and does right. 
a, a king who heals in every direction and never fails, a king who has saving compassion for us, and then a king who will secure endless blessing. Like everything in verse 15 to 16, like look at the words. We see abundance. We see the word like gold, blessing, fruit, and abundance. Like, but the ask is found maybe more in the verse 16. It is for people, all people, everywhere to blossom from the top down. Everyone, no matter what their station in life is. Like just read this with me. Not aloud. Just let me read it. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him, gold. May power be made for him continually and blessing invoked from him all the day, blessing. May there be an abundance of grain in the land. From the tops of the mountains may it wave, may it fruit, may its fruit be like Lebanon. Like look at that picture, from the tops of the mountain may grain grow and wave. Like, I don't know if you've actually been to mountains. Not, not Mount Oriad, like, like real mountain. Mount Oriad is actually just a big flint hill. And it's like a real mountain. The tops of mountains don't grow anything. The tops of the mountain are weathered, and all they have are rocks. And in the summers, they have chipmunks, very aggressive chipmunks. There's nothing to sustain life. And yet the psalmist would be aware of this, and he says, but this is what we want. We want a king that establishes some sort of blessing that goes from the very top all the way down, from the highest society to the cracks of society. Filling in everything, all those who are forgotten. And then verse 16, it says, And may people blossom in the city like the grass of the field. May everyone have the opportunity to grow and flourish. A king who is for all people, all people everywhere, to flourish from the top down, everyone, no matter where they are from or their station in life. Like David sees the world that we have. He sees injustice. He sees brokenness. He sees the poor being forgotten. And he says, man, we want something different. And he charges Solomon to be king, to be ruled by God, and to extend God's rule to all people. But his desire is beyond what Solomon did. It's beyond what Solomon could do. He's desiring something beyond what any earthly human could do. His desire is found only in the work that King Jesus came to do. Like, listen to this doxology. The doxology started in verse 17. Listen to it. It says, May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be the glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. See, as New Testament people, we know that there is a name that will endure forever. His fame will outlast the sun and the moon. Philippians tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. He will do wondrous things. And one day his glory will fill the entire earth. His name is Jesus. Like Jesus is the king who accomplished all that David asked for, all that we asked for. This is the way that God intends the world to be, and you can see it when you look at the life of Jesus. It's why Jesus taught us to play your kingdom come, your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. How did this happen? If you have your Bibles, look, look at Galatians 4, or it'll be up on the screen for you. Galatians 4, it tells us how it happened. It says this, Galatians 4, starting in verse 3, it says, In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to elementary principles of the world. And so it starts off with the condition of humanity. The elementary principles of the world were locked in self-interest, were locked in greed, unable to really change, were taking and hurting one another, all the while we're longing for something different. We don't give grace, but we want grace. We don't extend mercy, but we desire mercy. And so he says there's elementary principles that is driving all of us. It's inside of us. Verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law. Jesus, the Son of God, the true King, entered into our story. Jesus entered into our world in a humble way, born of a virgin. Why? Verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. He came to save, redeem, deliver. He came to save, redeem, deliver us from sin that holds all people and all nations and all leaders. Verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is what changes us. Like no one outside, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord gets inside of this reign. And it's not fully here, but one day it will be. Everyone who calls upon the Lord gets this kind of thing, this redeeming love, this delivering love, this saving love. This is the true story of the gospel that is bringing to pass all that David prayed for. This is the gospel, the good news about what has happened for you. How does it change us? Three words. These are really fancy words. You'll love it. Penal, substitutionary, atonement. It changes this by this king doing something very specific, by Jesus coming to first take our penalty, penal, the penal code, to take our penalty upon himself. Second, as a substitute in our place, substitutionary, penal substitutionary, he stands in our way to take our penalty upon himself as a substitute, his life in the place of ours, his death where we deserved it, and then atonement, his payment with his life atones. It makes us right before God. It makes change possible. It makes the world that David wants possible. It makes the world that we long for possible. The gospel is the story that resonates with the brokenness that we see inside of us and outside of us. And it's the true story of what God has done. Now, look at verse 20. It says, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. And I'm telling you that the New Testament is very clear and declared that David's prayers have been answered in the person of Jesus. And everyone who cries out will be saved. Let me pray for us.
Lord, as we move to communion and we see the elements before us, I pray that there would be a sense and a longing of like when relationships have gone wrong and injustices have happened, that we would take serious that longing. We would ask, why does it even exist if I'm not even experiencing that? And Lord, we would be drawn that we were created for a different kind of kingdom. And Lord, we would join that longing. We would pray prayers like, your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, we love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. um, Instructions for communion will be on the screen behind me. Come when you're ready. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas, please visit our website at fcclawrence.com.